You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What is up, Grace Church? It is good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Kent. For those of you who don't know me, I have the great pleasure of serving as the pastor for the Olathe campus of Grace Church. And for those of you who may not be aware, we are a church planning church. Uh, currently, we have two of those. Uh, well, one plant and another church. So we have two locations, one here in Overland Park uh, and one in Olathe. And God is doing some amazing things at the Olathe campus, and I'm so uh, happy and honored uh, to be a part of that. So Um, Listen, we are right in the middle of a series called Choices, and we are talking about choices in regard to relationships. And uh, we have looked at choices surrounding uh, being unmarried and choices surrounding being married. We've talked about choices around the idea of sex, and today we're going to be talking about choices in regard to divorce. Now, next week, just by way of reminder, Tim and Kathy will be here, and they're going to be answering questions that have been coming in throughout the course of this series. So if you have questions, even after today, uh, you can send those questions in to questions at visitgracechurch.com, and we're going to try to get to as many of those as we possibly can next week. Now, this week, as we begin, let me just say that I understand that this topic is extremely complex. And I know that there are a variety of perspectives, there are a variety of ideas and experiences around the subject of divorce. Uh, This has been an extremely difficult message for me to prepare, simply because I understand the sensitivity uh, around it. I realize that there's heartache involved. And for many of you, even just to mention the word divorce uh, brings some pain. And I get that. I feel the weight of it. Uh, Personally, for me, divorce has had profound effects on my life. Uh, My wife and I both uh, are children of divorced parents. I was raised by my mom and by my stepdad and in a blended family. And that presented its own sets of challenges and certainly presented uh, uh, challenges as I grew into adulthood, uh, just family of origin, things that I had to deal with uh, in my adult life. Uh, Just recently, uh, both of my sons have went through a divorce, and uh, actually both in the same year. And so that was, uh, that was devastating for our family. And so I want you to know if you're here and you're in either the throes of a divorce, you've been through divorce, uh, you, you know the sting of it. I feel this with you. I, I, I understand the weight of this topic. And, you know, the reality is all of us have been affected by divorce in one way or another, uh, whether it's through the effect that divorce has had on our culture, on our society, or how it's affected us personally. Um, You may have never experienced divorce yourself, but you certainly probably know someone who has experienced it. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, a close friend, uh, you probably know someone who's gone through a divorce. And so whether it's indirectly or directly, divorce has had an impact on our lives. And um, divorce has also had a profound impact on our church. It has been the cause of much confusion, much division, and much heartache in the body of Christ. So today I understand that I'm not going to cover every angle that could be covered in this topic. There's no way I could do that in the time that I have. But in the time that I do have, 
Um, I want to briefly explain what the Bible does have to say about divorce and possibly what it does not have to say about divorce, and then also try to discover God's heart on the matter. So if you'd join me in a word of prayer, let's invite the Lord to guide us and, and lead us. So Lord God, we just, we, we need you. We need you in this moment. And uh, we're talking about something that's tough. We know it's something that uh, is uh, uh, in your heart, um, something that's very sensitive. And God, there's uh, folks who are uh, listening today who are dealing uh, with the pain of divorce in one way or another. And God, you know that. In fact, you know every single need of every person that's here today. You know every single need of every person online. You know every single need. And God, it's your heart, it's your desire to meet every single need. It's your desire to meet us right where we're at, to bring your grace, to bring your love, to bring your truth, and then shape us into your image. So God, we're asking you to do that. Be supernatural in this time and in this moment. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, I just want to share some thoughts with you uh, on divorce from Scripture today. Just a few thoughts. Um, The first thought being this. Divorce is not God's intent. Divorce is not God's intent. Now, Jesus actually addressed the issue of divorce in Matthew chapter 19. If you want to be turning there in your Bible, you can do that or go there on your device, however you want to get there. But Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was asked a question about divorce from some of the religious leaders in the day. And Matthew 19, starting in verse number three, it says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce uh, one's wife for any cause? And what you need to know about this scenario here is that at at that time, during that day, there was kind of two schools of thoughts in the religious leadership in Israel. One school of thought was that divorce was only lawful if there was adultery involved. And then the other school of thought was that divorce is lawful for any reason. You get tired of your marriage, your spouse offends you, you fall out of love, whatever the case may be, we can get a divorce. So you had these two schools of thoughts, and that's why they come to him asking this question. Here's how Jesus responds. Verse number four, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus begins quoting scripture to them, Genesis chapter two. In verse number five, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus answers the question uh, by saying, look, it's not about this reason or that reason. Jesus, he says, God never intended divorce at all for any reason. He said, look, this is the way from the beginning. This is God's intent. This was intent from the beginning. It was then. It still is now. One man, one woman for life. That's God's intent with marriage. That's how he designed it. That's how he set it up. Divorce was never part of God's plan. But because marriage involves two sinful human beings, God understands and recognizes that divorce is going to occur even among those who are his followers. It's going to happen. That's just reality. Now, Jesus address that reality with the follow-up question that the Pharisees ask in Matthew 19, starting in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Hey, if God didn't intend divorce, then how come in the law it says that we can have a divorce? And they're quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. 
And he said to them, verse number eight, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So God never attended divorce, but there are scriptural allowances for divorce. Here in Matthew 19, we see one of them. Jesus said himself, except for sexual immorality. He says that uh, sex outside of the marriage, that word is actually fornication. Sex outside of the marriage is a just cause for divorce. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we see another just cause for divorce. The Apostle Paul uh, references a marriage that has a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and an unbeliever. And he says, hey, if you two are uh, content to stay married, awesome. But if the unbeliever gets discontented with the marriage and departs, let them depart. For uh, a spouse is not under bondage in such cases. So we have these two allowances that we see in Scripture of adultery and abandonment. Um, and again, there are a variety of perspectives on this topic. And there are some who believe, even uh, around those scriptures that I've just mentioned to you, that believe that there is no allowance for divorce whatsoever. Divorce is not part of God's plan. There's no allowance for it. And I, I understand where those folks are coming from. There are some teachers, prominent teachers who teach that, uh, church leaders, people in the body of Christ. I, I understand where that teaching comes from. I, I understand your reason for it. I just simply don't agree with it. I don't agree with it because I, understand, I believe that God understands the reality that people will get divorced and people will get remarried, and probably not to the one that they divorced. That's just the reality of the broken world that we live in. It's not what God intended, but it happens. And God is bigger than our mistakes. God's bigger than our mistakes. Listen, God never intended for Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it happened. And when it happened, God didn't just throw up his hands and say, Oh my gosh, what do I do now? He didn't huddle up the angels and say, okay, man, we need a new game plan here. We need a strategy. This one just went to heck. He didn't, that's not what happened. He knew that was going to happen, and he made adjustments and moved on accordingly. He still has a plan. He still has a kingdom. He still has a purpose, and he's going to get it done regardless of our mistakes. God understands the reality, but it was never his intent. So while some in the church believe that there's no allowance for divorce. There's others that believe that there are other things uh, that are just causes for divorce, even beyond adultery or abandonment. Things like physical abuse, either spousal abuse or, or uh, child abuse, maybe extreme emotional abuse or, or neglect or cruelty. They see these as, as just reasons for divorce. Now, now, these are not explicitly listed as grounds for divorce in Scripture, although it could be argued that they are implicit, they are implied. I mean, they're certainly not what God intended in the one flesh Christian marriage that he was talking about. It's certainly not what Jesus uh, intended when he said to love one another as I have loved you. Those things don't come into play in that type of marriage. And as a pastor, I will tell you, if you are involved in an abusive marriage, if you're involved in extreme emotional abuse, especially if you're involved in physical abuse, get out. Get out and get help. Get yourself out, get your kids out, get safe and get help. And hopefully there can be some restoring of the marriage. Hopefully things can be made right. It, they may not, 
but hopefully they can. But I would never tell you to stay in an abusive marriage. Well, what about things like abuse of trust or serious sin issues or a lack of sexual intimacy? Or what about intimidation? Or how about just disregarding the commands given in Scripture to husbands and to wives? Are these reasons, are these causes for divorce? Well, again, these things are not explicitly addressed in Scripture as reasons for divorce. But they certainly need to be confronted and dealt with. We don't just stay in a marriage that has these things going on and just endure because we made a vow. Now, we need to commit to our vows, but we don't need to commit to staying in a terrible marriage. We need to make sure that our marriages, we vowed to have a Christ-like marriage. Let's move toward that. That's what we made a vow to strive for. There should be an expectation of a spouse who claims to be a Jesus follower to actually follow Jesus' teachings when it comes to marriage. That should be an expectation. That's what we vowed, that's what we committed to. My wife should expect that from me. And if I'm mistreating her in any of these ways, and I've been confronted again and again and again, yet without any change, it should be no surprise to me when she walks out the door. And I shouldn't say, well, that, you know, that's not Jesus-like. That's not Christ-like. I shouldn't expect Christ-like behaviors from someone that I've been, that's been enduring my unchrist-like behaviors for years. Why would I expect a Christ-like response? Listen, this actually happened to me. I came home one day. This is about two years into our marriage. And my wife and I tell this story all the time, especially to those that we're taking through premarital counseling. We just want them to understand some things. But, you know, I came home one day, and my wife was, was packing a bag. And I'm like, hey, babe, where are we going? <laughs> and she said, well, uh, we're not going anywhere. I'm leaving. What? I was shocked. You see, the deal is I'd been neglecting my wife. I'd been neglecting her, all for the cause of the kingdom, by the way. I'm at church seven days a week, man, making disciples, winning people to Christ, working for the church, doing the good cause of the kingdom. And all the while, my wife had been relegated to nothing more than a roommate who provided childcare and sex. I wasn't adoring her. I wasn't pursuing her. I wasn't treating her as Christ said to treat the church. And finally, she just said, you know what? I'm out. This is not what I vowed to have. Now, she didn't want a divorce. She didn't leave me because she wanted a divorce. In fact, quite the opposite. She wanted the marriage that God had intended for us. And she had tried. She would confronted and confronted and over and over. And finally, she said, I don't know what to do. Now, those might not have been explicit, clearly stated reasons to walk out on me, scripturally speaking, but they sure were good ones. She had a good reason. You know what it was? I was a crappy husband. I was a terrible spouse. Guys, don't freak out when your wife leaves if you're a terrible husband. Ladies, don't freak out when your husband goes if you're a terrible wife. It shouldn't shock you. Now, that said, none of these things that we've mentioned, be it explicit in Scripture or implied, none of them are a mandate for divorce. None of them provide a mandate divorce. What I mean by that is just because those things are happening in your marriage does not mean you automatically should hit the eject button. 
That should be the last thing that you do because by God's grace, your marriage can survive. By God's grace, there can be healing. By God's grace, he can move in and restore whatever is broken. By God's grace, marriages have survived deep betrayal. They've just survived abuse. They've survived neglect. I'm now 30 years in. My marriage made it. It's still making it. I think she's going to keep me. It's awesome. It's a miracle. Remember, divorce is not God's intent. What God has put together, let not man separate. Divorce should always be our very last option, the nuclear option, after you've tried everything else, counseling, therapy, a week-long retreat, books, uh, whatever you have to do to save the marriage because that's not God's intent. You see, we are people of the cross, and the cross is an extraordinary display of love and forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. We are to fight for our marriage the way that Jesus fights for us. Now, it may not work out, but as followers of Jesus, we have an obligation to take our marriages to the cross and see if we can't find hope and healing and restoration. Now, it may sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm not. I want what God intended for your marriage. I want what God intended for my marriage. But I also understand the realities of the broken world that we live in. And divorce is going to happen. Jesus revealed the true reason for divorce. In his response to the Pharisees in verse number 8 of Matthew 19, I don't know if you picked up on it when we read through it, but he said in verse number 8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Because of your hardness of heart, at the core, this is the reason for any divorce and every divorce. At the core, it's hardness of heart. One or both spouses harden their heart to God's will and God's direction for their lives and for their marriage. It's hardness of heart. Long before the affair, long before the abandonment, long before the abuse, long before the neglect, there is a hardened heart toward God and his will for their life or for their marriage. And those hardened hearts begin to manifest themselves in inappropriate behaviors that damage the marriage. See, that hard heart may simply be selfishness, a selfish heart, which, by the way, marriage is all about selflessness. Can I just tell you something? If you're here and you're unmarried and you're thinking, man, I really want to be married someday, or you're here and you're engaged and you're going to get married, can I just, can I just warn you for a second? <laughs> You are getting ready to enter into a giving contest for the rest of your life. You are signing up to give yourself away to another person forever. Know that before you get in. If you've got a selfish place in your heart, you better get that dealt with. Now, we all have selfish places in our heart, but you better have an intent. God, please keep stripping that stuff away from me so I can be everything I need to be for my spouse. Because I promise you this, if you or the other person, if one or both of you have a self-will or a self-orientation, sin lies at the door of your marriage. And it's just a matter of time before it kicks the door in and destroys it. It's a hard heart. Everything begins with our heart. That's why the Bible teaches in the book of Proverbs to guard our hearts, for out of it are the issues of life. You want to divorce-proof your marriage? 
pursue soft-heartedness with God, pursue such a deep and intimate relationship with Him that He's constantly softening your heart, stripping away areas of pride and arrogance and selfishness and self-will, taking away immaturities and lies and wounds and removing all that, replacing it with grace and mercy and truth and forgiveness and softening you and shaping you into His image so that you can pursue the heart of your spouse with everything that you are and that He is. Pursue the heart of your spouse with a heart that's being shaped by the, by the heart of Christ. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13 type love. Supernatural gifting type of love. That will save your marriage. That keeps us from divorce. See, because divorce isn't God's intent. But sometimes it happens. Let me give you another thought. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. This is an actual quote out of Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16 says, For the God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, you may be familiar with this verse. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've been around church for a while and you've heard this. Maybe uh, you you haven't. Uh, Whether you have or you haven't, um, maybe you haven't considered why God says this. Can I just tell you, it's not a condemnation from God against those who are divorced. And often it gets used that way. See, God hates divorce because of the violence it does to the marriage. If the two have become one flesh, there's no easy or soft way for that separation to occur. Divorce is not typically just a separation. It's not just a step off. It's not some gentle parting of the ways. We don't typically just walk out of a marriage. Well, you know, high five. We'll see you later. That's not how it goes down. It's not usually that gentle. Even in the best of circumstances, it's not that gentle. It's usually a violent division. Marriage is an intermingling of souls. And if marriage is an intermingling of souls, then divorce is the violent tearing away of those souls. Not only does it tear apart our hearts emotionally and spiritually, it tears apart our lives physically, has a lot of physical effects on us, tears us apart financially. It also has collateral effects. It tears our kids apart. It tears our families apart. It tears our friendships apart. It tears the church apart. Divorce has lifelong repercussions. And yes, God can heal. God can restore. God can reconcile. God can fix. Yes, he can. But there are things, there are consequences from divorce that you are going to have to manage for the rest of your life. And that's just the reality of it. And God may restore you, but there are still going to be consequences that you're pulling along. You know what? I used to, I was in student ministry for years and years. And we used to, when we'd go on trips or or retreats, things like that, we would have a rule that we would give the, the students, and it would be this. Really simple. Guys, you're blue. Girls, you're pink. Don't make purple. No purple. Right? Can I just tell you guys, marriage is purple. And you don't unpurple purple. You don't just go back to blue and black to, back to pink. That's not how it works. Now, you can divide purple. And this purple can go one way, and that purple can go one way. And maybe this purple is going to find another blue or pink, and this one's going to find another blue or pink. And then you'll have another shade of purple. Um, or maybe you're going to find a whole other purple, and you two are going to make another shade of purple and go on from there. But you don't unpurple purple. 
you, that's, that's something you're going to deal with now for the rest of your life. See, God hates divorce because he knows the pain of it. God knows the pain of divorce. You know why? He is divorced. He's divorced. He's experienced this violent tearing away of relationship. It happened in the Garden of Eden with the very first two people he ever made. With Adam and Eve, he had this wonderful relationship with them. They were one together. He was one with them, just like marriage is supposed to be. But then they decided something about themselves. I want to do this. I want to go our own way. We decided that we don't want to do what you want, God. We want to do things our own way. And there was a violent tearing away of the relationship. Same thing happened with his people Israel. He entered into a covenant relationship with them. Just like a marriage is supposed to be, a covenant relationship, a partnership, a union, a vow. And they kept breaking that vow over and over and over and over until finally God just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm divorcing you. Look in Jeremiah chapter 3. He says, I'm putting you away. And there was a violent tearing of the relationship. In fact, it took the cross of Jesus Christ to make reconciliation possible. It took the actual violent tearing of his body to restore our broken relationship with him. God knows the great pain of divorce and he hates it. He hates it for you. He hates that you're having to go through it. Now, only those who have experienced divorce can truly understand God's statement in Malachi chapter 2. In fact, I asked some Jesus followers who had been divorced or had been going through a divorce to share some thoughts on the subject and hear some things that they had to say. This first person said, nobody wins. It's easy to spiral into a perpetual cycle of anger and hate and bitterness and emotional turmoil for months. The impact of divorce, another person says, is mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially devastating under, under even the most cordial of circumstances. One person said divorce physically hurts. It literally felt like someone was tearing apart my heart and my soul. Now, this one's a little more blunt. Divorce sucks. There's nothing satisfying about accepting the dissolvement of a covenant between Uh, meant to represent a union between Christ and his bride. So divorce is not God's intent, but it happens. God hates divorce because of the violence it does to the marriage. And here's one more thought. God hates divorce, but he loves the divorced. God hates divorce, but he loves the divorced problem is sometimes divorced people in the church, they don't feel like that. They don't feel loved. Sometimes by God, they don't feel loved. and Mostly by the church, they don't feel loved. When I ask some of these same divorced believers to describe their feelings about when they were going through divorce, kind of what they felt and how other, other believers were uh, responding to them, here's what they had to say. It feels very much like I failed. I also feel like sometimes people look at the divorce like they are broken. I was really embarrassed and ashamed, and I felt like a failure. It seemed like everyone was staring at me like I was wearing a scarlet letter. Another person said, I felt unlovable, unwanted, and oh, so, so lonely. This last person said, divorce in the church is even harder 
It becomes your scarlet letter, your mark of failure and perceived relational suicide. Now, two people there mentioned the scarlet letter. That's actually after a novel by the same name, written by Nathaniel Hawthorne, set in 17th century Salem, Massachusetts, about a community of Puritans. And these Puritans, the leaders there, if they uh, caught you in adultery, they would make you wear a scarlet letter. They would take a letter and actually put it on your clothing and make you walk about in your community in public with this letter so you could carry about your shame and indignity. And we have divorced people in the church saying that's how it feels to be divorced in the church. I don't know if you remember the first installment of, of this series of choices, and Tim was talking about what it might feel like for unmarried people uh, in the church sometimes, and he illustrated that with this, this special garment, and if you remember that garment, he had a cat coat, and uh, he said that sometimes unmarried people feel this way, like people, they feel awkward and strange, and that people are looking at them in a weird way. Well, you know what? In the same way, divorced members of the church often feel literally like they are wearing a scarlet letter, and that this is what they're walking around with in the church. See, divorce to them feels like a mark of shame and a mark of failure, and often it's because of the teaching of the church on this topic or because of the treatment of believers to those who are divorced. Divorce is not the cardinal sin. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Only rejecting Jesus Christ is unpardonable. That's the only one he can't forgive is your rejection of his love. Other than that, everything's on the table. Divorce is not the big one. Yes, God hates divorce, but guess what? He hates a lot of things. You realize that. And most of those things you and I are doing. Check out Proverbs chapter 6 sometime. Go through the list of all the things that God hates. See how many of them relate to things that you're doing. In fact, take a letter that represents one of them and stick it on your chest and walk around for a bit. Yes, God hates divorce, and he hates a lot of things. Divorce is not on the top of the list. There have been some crazy, crazy attitudes and actions from Christians concerning divorce and divorced people, almost as crazy as sticking a scarlet D on their chest. Here at Grace, our heart is to treat the divorce like Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus treat the divorce? Well, check out John chapter 4 sometime. Check out John chapter 8. He did it with love and mercy and compassion and tenderness and truth without condemnation and judgment. Let's be that. If you're divorced or you're going through divorce, can I just tell you that Jesus knows your pain? He knows what you're going through. He loves you. You are not less than. You are not an outcast. What do the divorce need from the body of Christ? Well, I asked that question to these Jesus followers who were giving me input on divorce, and here's how they responded. I would want the church to know that I still needed community, specifically the faith of community. Another person said, it's a grieving process. Just be a good listener. Sit in the mess with me. Someone else said, I needed the ministry of presence. I just needed someone to come alongside me. Now more than ever, we need to be reminded that we're valuable human beings. This last person said, the body of Christ didn't follow me into or through my divorce. Just kind of stayed at the front doors and watched me leave. 
You know, sometimes it's difficult to know how to respond to people going through divorce. It's difficult to know what to say to them. We don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know who was primarily responsible for the divorce or who was primarily the victim of the divorce or whether or not they equally took sledgehammers to their divorce or to their marriage. We don't, we don't know all the details. But here's what we do know. What the Word of God tells us, our, our obligation as followers of Jesus is to love. Our one obligation to other people is to love them. Paul said it like this, Owe no man anything except to love. Jesus said, people know you're my followers when you have love one to another. And not just because they're following some standards. That's not how Jesus loves. Those of you going through divorce or struggling with the effects of divorce, you need love and you need our love more than ever right now. I'd like to just finish with a little bit of encouragement today for you. And hopefully, uh, those of us who are ministering to you, this will be an encouragement for us as well. But let me just finish with three statements for you. One is this. God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. He's not angry with you. Whether you were primarily the cause of the divorce or you're primarily the victim of your divorce, God loves you every bit as, he, as right now as he ever has or he ever will. He absolutely adores you. You are his child. Your divorce hasn't driven him away from you. Your divorce hasn't caused him to withhold blessing from you. He's not holding this over your head. He's not punitive. He doesn't work that way. You don't have to sit in guilt. You can sit in the promise that God loves you and you can believe that he can make all things new. You know why? Because the cross is bigger than your shame. The cross is bigger than your shame. Here's another statement for you. God does not consider you a failure. God does not consider you a failure. Now you may have failed, but our failings don't make us failures. They don't define us. The cross defines us. His heart is to replace your scarlet D with some other letters because you're not a failure. Look, how about this letter right here? God wants to replace your scarlet D with this, an L for life. In fact, let's just get rid of this. An L for life. There is life after divorce. There is life after divorce. Divorce is not a death certificate. And I realize that some of you who are going through divorce or have gone through divorce, it felt like death. But God brings dead things to life. He's in the resurrection business. That's what he does. And there is life after the doors. Wear that one around. Wear that proudly. That's what God does for you. How about another one? Oh, you're an overcomer. You can overcome this through Christ. The Bible teaches us that we are more than conquerors, that through Christ Jesus, we are always made to triumph. There may be weeping in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And he can make beauty from ashes. You are an overcomer. You're an overcomer. You see, the cross is bigger than your failings. It's bigger. Here's one more statement for you. God is not done with you. He's not done with you. You are not broken. You are not unusable. God's plans for you may have adjusted a bit because of the divorce, but they are just as valid as they are for any other person in the church or any other person in this world. He is not done with you. Here's a couple of other letters for you. V for valued. You have value. 
You have value. You are not less than. You are not unworthy. You are precious to God. Because of the cross, you are precious to him. And you are worthy of his love. God knows you. He accepts you. He adores you. You have value. Last thing. Encouragement. God can take even the darkest of our circumstances and use them to be a blessing to somebody else. You can encourage someone else. You still have the ability to be God's blessing and encouragement to someone else. You know what you are? You're loved, and love always wins. It always wins. The same love that drew Christ to the cross and the same love that pulled him up from the grave is the same love that's pursuing your heart right now. Love wins. Take heart. Take heart today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And thank you for your love for us. And thank you, God, that you are a Savior who adores us in such a way that even through our failings and our mistakes and our craziness, God, you can move in. And I realize today there are people hurting And there are people who've been in bondage because of divorce. And there are people who've lived with guilt and shame. God, would you move in right now and remind them of your great love. Get your arms around them. Let them know how much, how precious they are to you. How much you adore them. How that the cross was worth it for them. And God, for those of us who haven't experienced divorce or or, or, uh, have people around us that are, may we be sensitive to this. And God, may we act as you act. God, may we have love like you have love. Do a great work. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.